0: again church if you have your bibles we are continuing our study through the book of first peter we're in chapter one we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25 if you need a bible just raise your hand and george and richard have them they'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us first peter chapter one verses 22 through 25 this morning Peter writes, starting in verse 22, "...since you have purified purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever." Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The title of my message this morning is Sincere Love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could spend together. Thank you, Lord, for the folks that have come out, Lord, and uh, just made it a priority to, uh, to get into your word this morning. Lord, we know that whenever we get into your word, Holy Spirit, you have something to speak to us, something to reveal to us, something to to draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. So bless our time together, God, we pray. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again this morning. Lord, would would you especially speak to their heart? So bless our time together. Bless our kids downstairs as they're being ministered to through your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I found a website... Uh, titled, Reasons Why Parents Should Not Text. And there's some texts from parents to the kids. This is the first one. It's a dad text to his kid. You left your phone at home. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. Like he's going to get that. It's on his phone at home. How about this one from mom? Please don't text me for the next hour. I'm going to be on a treadmill. I wasn't planning on texting you. What did I just say? I like this one. Dad, there's a moth in the outside of the bathroom door. Can you get rid of it? Please hurry because I'm going to cry. Dad, Dad. Dad is dead. Your next love, (laughs) moth. Then this last one. Your great aunt just passed away, LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh, my goodness. I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I'll have to call you back. (laughs) Now the very first text message was sent December 3, 1992 from a computer to a cell phone by British engineer Neil Papworth. The text message was sent from Papworth to his boss that just read two words, Merry Christmas. That single text message revolutionized the way that we communicate. Since its introduction in 1992, text messaging has become the preferred method of communication in the world today. But this comes with side effects. We simply do not talk face-to-face anymore. We text, we email, we post on social media, but seldom do we talk face-to-face. And as a result, it's destroying our ability to effectively communicate in our work relationships, in our marriages, in our in our daily life and in, in our relationship with our friends, kids, nieces, nephews, with our parents, with our siblings, we shout at the world loudly now without ever ever speaking a word. We vent without ever having spoken to a person or picked up the phone. We'd rather type something in a text than actually have a conversation face to face. I think you'll agree that our society is becoming less personal and that The the personal is being substituted with the virtual and with the technological. And as a a result of that, there is a lack of sincerity. There is a lack of love between people. It's all just words. That's why Peter's words in in, uh, verse 22 are so fitting for us today. He says, In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. See, the only way to do that is through our actions. Not simply our words. Love is an action word. It's an active uh, it's active, it's what you do. There's no greater force than love. If two people truly love each other, they'll do anything for each other. No greater bond on this earth than true love. Now, in order to really know what sincere love is you need to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Because there is a difference between the love that believers have for one another and the love that let's say an unbeliever has For their neighbors. We as believers, we have a different kind of love than our unbelieving neighbors have for one another. Now, unfortunately, we're really stuck with this word love in the English language. It's a word that we use to express one of our deepest feelings and emotions, but it's also a word that we use just to express something that we really enjoy. I may say that I love my wife Lisa and I'm expressing my deepest feelings and emotions for her. I love her. However... When I want to describe what I think about Andy's frozen custard, I have to use the same word. Oh, I love their banana, caramel, and almond sundae. And if the caramel's hot, oh, it is so good. What I feel towards that banana, caramel, and almond sundae is far different than what I feel for my wife. There's just something about that sundae that doesn't come close to the love that I have for my wife. You thought I was going to put the Sunday first. So in the English mind, you know, the English language rather, it's limited. But in the Greek language, it's not so limited. In fact, in the Greek language, there's quite a few words for the word love. Just to name a few, there's the, the word eros. Now this, incidentally, is not found in the Bible, but it was used by the philosophers to describe the heathen God of love. It's a sexual love. It's an erotic love, eros. It's a receiving love, a fleshly love, not giving. It's the type of love we see on TV, in the movies, and, and, and uh, you know, advertisers base their whole advertising on that type of love. Then there's what's called phileo. And a phileo is a human love. It's a brotherly love. It's where we get our word Philadelphia from. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This type of love is like a humanitarian type of love. If an earthquake happens, it's earthquake relief, or if it's rebuilding of homes or businesses. We can see this type of love in the world. It's good, but it's not the the love that Peter uses here for the word love. Peter uses the word agape. This is God's love. It's a divine and unconditional love, a love that is giving but expects nothing in return. See, the Greek word agape refers to the highest level of love, biblical, godly, sacrificial kind of love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How did Jesus love us? By giving his life for us. That's the highest level of love, biblical, godly, sacrificial kind of love. Now with that said, it's not always easy to love certain people, is it? I mean, it can be quite hard. But if we're going to obey God's Word, if we're going to obey the Lord, then we need to apply His Word when He tells us to love. And it may take some effort on our part because we're dealing with people. In fact, Peter tells us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. That word fervently fervently means to stretch to the limit. It speaks of intensity. It speaks of determination. It's an athletic term, Used for stretching to reach the tape at the end of the finish line. You know, you see these runners and they're running the race, and maybe it's a, an 8 and they're coming around and they get the last quarter of the lap to go, and they spot that tape going across. I mean, they're, they're just giving it their all, and then they reach for that tape, come across. Many even do a face plant right about that point because they're, they're pushing so far ahead. Those who do the long jump, you know, they're running and running. They, they push their bodies as far ahead as they possibly can. Pole vaulters, you know, high jumpers. Just going forward as much as they can, fervently giving it them all. We're to love one another fervently. It's that same idea. It's going to take effort. It's a command that implies that this is something you have to consciously decide you're going to do and obey. So to love fervently means you're going to stretch yourself to the the limit in trying to love and trying to understand the other person that you're having a hard time with. To love fervently means you'll give the person the benefit of the doubt. It means you're going to take every effort to reach out to others. To love fervently means you're not going to be easily offended. Again, because we're dealing with people, some people are absent-minded and they don't mean to offend you. Maybe it was just an innocent thing that happened. Some people are just kind of rough around the edges and they don't mean to offend you with their words. Other folks are just really, really busy with family life and they don't mean to ignore you or rush by you without speaking to you or saying hi. Well, that said, we're to love them anyway. There's a story I found of a woman and her husband who came to their pastor and said, there's no feeling left in our marriage. We're going to get a divorce. But we want to come and make sure that, that you know that you approve of it. Hoping the pastor would say, well, if there's no filling left, then the only thing you can do is split up. Instead, the pastor said to the husband, the Bible says you're to love your wife as Christ Jesus loved the church. Husband replied, oh, I can't do that. Pastor then said, well, if you can't begin at that level, then begin on a lower level. You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can you at least love your wife as you love your neighbor? Husband says, no way, that's still too high a level pastor finally says, okay, the Bible says love your enemies. Begin there. <laughs> Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5:43 through 45. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. But you see, only those of us whose hearts have been changed have the capacity to love like this. Now Peter next gives us really three reasons, if you're taking notes, why we should love like this. It's because, number one, we've been purified. Number two, we've been born again. And number three, because time is short. So, number one, why we should love one another is because our souls have been purified. Look at verse 22. Since, you've been pure, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So when something is purified, it's cleansed. It's totally clean from any uh, impurities. Listen, it's the Word of God that is a purifying agent to our souls. It's it's a miracle cleansing agent. Years ago, my youngest son Matthew was at our harvest party and, and he uh Dressed as Mr. Clean, you know, complete with a shaved head. He had an earring in there, all white clothes. And he used this uh, latex on his eyebrows to put, you know, cotton on there to make him look like he had white eyebrows. I mean, he really looked like Mr. Clean. Well, this last uh, uh, October, he's in the military and they're having a party. He thought he would do that again, but he couldn't get any uh, latex for the eyebrows. So he used superglue. Why, son? Why would you do that? Needless to say, his eyebrows had to grow back. But the commercials tell us Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. That may be good in cleaning your house, but cleaning your heart is another story. The real Mr. Clean that the world needs now more than ever is the Word of God. There's no standard of right or wrong without the Word of God. Paul would tell us in Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. See, Peter tells us here that we have purified our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Obeying the truth through the Spirit. David put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. It's a word of God that's our foundation for our purification. It's a word of God that tells us what true love really is. You know, the LGBTQ R S T U V they have a slogan. And it's called Love is Love. Now, we didn't know this last year and we gave away coffee cups at our at our couple's dinner as a prize with that written on it. Now we know better, and so for those of you that have this cup, I'm really sorry. We just didn't know, okay? Because you see, saying love is love, they are saying that the, the, you know, that the homosexual community will tell us what true love is. And, and we all know that means that, that, that true love to them is accepting and agreeing with what God calls sin. Pastor John MacArthur has asked pastors all over America today, January 16th, to mention this in their sermons. I think this is a good place to do it. I just found out about it this morning at 7.30. My son showed it to me. In Canada, today they have put into a law a bill that was passed back in November, Bill C-4, through the House and the Senate. And I might add, without any opposition from the uh, uh, at all, not a single dissenting vote was, was cast by any member of the conservative party The bill would amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. So the preamble of this bill, it says that the belief that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over their other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions, is a myth. That's what they're saying. According to Canadian law, as of January 8, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth. And the bill goes on to say, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. So a pastor who not only tells people to come to Christ, turn from their sin, what God calls sins, and they can be converted, can spend up to five years in prison. This is what's going on in Canada today. In fact, today is the day they enact that law. So it was passed back in December. Uh, It was uh, uh, verified a week ago, and now it goes into place today. That's why all across Canada today, pastors have been called on to preach on what they're now banned from doing. And I would say, pray for them, because this is the same ban on conversion therapy being pushed here in the United States by the Democratic Party. It was promoted back in 2012. It'll be here soon. Just to say that God created man and woman there in Genesis, and you say that, and you, and you tell people they're wrong for believing all the different identity, uh, gender identities out there, you can go to jail for. So we, we need to speak out. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through tells us why. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. <laughs> you were converted. There is conversion. All sinners need conversion. But this list that Paul writes focuses specifically on the sexually immoral adulterers, effeminate, and homosexuals who will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, our calling as pastors, or really our calling to all believers, is to preach the truth, to confront sin, and to call, to call all men and women to repentance to the obedience of the gospel. And the good news that achieves soul conversion and saves sinners from, from eternal wrath, that's the good news of the gospel. That's what true love really is. See, love is not love the way they define it. God has created male and female. That's what God's word said. That says that's what we must preach. Loving is loving God so much that we would want to turn from our sin and follow his word. That we would love God so much that we would not want to do anything that would displease him. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what we looked at last week. See, Peter here is saying that it's the word of God. That's our sure foundation that tells us what true love is and tells us how to be cleansed from our sin. In fact, it's a Word of God that brings us to Christ in the first first place. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You hear the Word of God shared or you read it for yourself. You're convicted of your sin, you turn from it. God does it all to you, bringing you to Himself and cleansing you from your sin. But it's a word of God that, that brought you to that point. It's a word of God that after that point that continues to conform us. James chapter 1 tells us that God's word is like a mirror reflecting the reality of our hearts. So what does a wise man or a wise woman do with a mirror? We throw it away. No. <laughs> we check to see if there's any, you know, wild eyebrows or nose hair sticking out or if your face is really clean check to see if there's anything wrong with that reflection you see in the mirror then you make those proper changes if you can so as we look to god's word we see what we need to do and and as we we see that we make those changes necessary because once we've experienced once we've been purified through the word of god and accept what jesus has done for us upon the cross it's then that we have the ability to love others as god has called us to and we have the responsibility to obey his word. Again, as I quoted already, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now notice again in verse 22 what kind of love for the brethren. Paul says, or Peter says rather, it's a sincere love of the brethren. I like that word sincere. It means free from any pretense or deceit, not dishonest, not hypocritical. So then since sincere love means, I mean, it, it means really the real deal. It's not fake. The Greek word, we've heard it before, it's a word, anipokritos, it means without hypocrisy. Peter's saying, don't be fake with your love. Just don't put on a show. Don't, don't be deceitful. Don't, don't pretend to really love people. Nothing worse than fake love. Nothing worse than saying, oh, I'm at church now, so oh, hey, brother, how are you? I love you, man. I really can't stand that guy under your breath. Matthew Henry puts it this way. Hypocrisy is to do the devil's work in God's uniform. We're not to have just a surface kind of love, but love from our hearts, not just words, but love with our actions. Because when we love someone from the heart, our actions will show it. I think one of the the deadliest enemies of the Christian cause is phony love, it's insincere love. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, let your love be, be genuine. You know, when you come to church, especially among the people of God, love must be genuine. If not, then it's just hypocrisy. Now, there's a lot of examples we find of insincere love. You pay somebody a compliment, but you don't really mean it. Or you, you know, You're not really trying to encourage that person. You're just trying to manipulate them to get something from them. To, to butter them up is a way to show insincere love. Or you give somebody a hug, not because you care, but because you want to get close to that person physically. That's an insincere love. I mean, think about it. Who among the 12 apostles had uh, the most insincere love? Very clearly, it was Judas Iscariot. He was a guy, remember, when the woman poured oil on Jesus to anoint him for his burial. Judas spoke up and said, Oh, this could have been sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. Oh, he loves the poor. Sounds like it. But he it doesn't it's insincere love, because John adds a footnote in that account where he says, "This guy didn't care for the poor, he was a thief and he wanted to take the money for himself. Another occasion, Judas Iscariot, he's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has Roman soldiers in tow. He walks up to Jesus and gives him a kiss. That's insincere love. He was simply trying to identify Jesus to the soldiers who would take him away and arrest him and crucify him. That's insincere love. Peter, in contrast, says, have a sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with the pure heart, not fake, not phony. Because Christian love is the real deal. It's what we're called to do. And if we do, there'll be great results in our lives. Dr. Paul Tournier, a physician, a Swiss doctor, said, I'm convinced nine out of every ten people seeing a psychiatrist don't need one. They need someone who will love them with God's love and then they will get well. D.L. Moody once said, if you can make... Really make a man believe you love him, you have won him. And if you could only make people really believe that God loves them, what a rush we would see for the kingdom of God. Along that same line, William Barclay put it this way, More people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and the ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in the world. This brings us to point number two, we should love one another because we are born again through the Word of God. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. All true believers have been spiritually born again. We've been spiritually renewed. We have been spiritually created to be a new man and a new woman, created brand new by God Himself, to be brothers and sisters to each other, and to love one another. First John five one. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves Him, who begot also loves Him, who was begotten of Him. You know, I read that, and I think of when you know when I was first born again. Do you remember when you were first born again? When I first got saved, the word "born again" to some it was considered a derogatory term. Oh, you're one of those born again Christians. Ned they call us Jesus freaks and, you know, ex-hippie Christians and Bible thumpers. And, uh, because to be born again uh, meant a radical transformation had taken place. But that's what born again means. You've received a whole new nature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. We know that phrase, born again, first appears in John chapter 3 when Jesus had a conversation with a, the Pharisee man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Then Jesus answered an unasked question by Nicodemus. Jesus got right to his heart and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But Nick is confused by the statement. Asked Jesus, How can that be? And then Jesus tells him there, in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, Nick, you need a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. But then at that point, Jesus made this interesting statement to Nicodemus. He said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? And he says, says, Nicodemus, you being a teacher of God's Word, you certainly should have known this. You should have understood at least the concept behind because scripture spoke of this over and over again. Nicodemus should have thought immediately of Ezekiel 36, 26, where Ezekiel prophesied that there would be this new covenant between God and man. Ezekiel twenty-six verse, or 36, verse 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Nicodemus, you should have made the connection. Nicodemus could have looked at Ezekiel chapter 37 where, he, where Nicodemus was given a, a vision, a, a valley full of dry bones. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, son of a man, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, oh Lord God, you know, you know. But then the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones. Ezekiel 37 four, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And when Ezekiel prophesied those words, spoke the word of the Lord, suddenly there was this noise rattling and the bones came together and the foot bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the leg bone, leg bone connected to... But that's where that song actually came from. Them bones, them bones, them got up and walked around, I hear the word of the Lord. That song was written after the prophecy there in Ezekiel. Because then the, the bones were covered with skin, but there was no life in them until Ezekiel 37 verse 5 says, Thus, thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. That word for breath is the word spirit. Ezekiel's prophesying of being born again in the Spirit of God. The Spirit came into them, filled them with new life. Now we know specifically that vision in Ezekiel 37 is a prophecy concerning the restoration of the nation of Israel, which when you think about it, is a miracle in itself, and it's been accomplished in our lifetime. But it's also on the heels of Ezekiel 36 and what it means to be born again. See, Jesus was telling Nicodemus that him being a teacher in Israel should have understood God's Word enough to know that it speaks of being born again. And then Jesus answered Nicodemus' second question that was on his mind. Who then can be born again? Nicodemus said. And then we have the most powerful verse probably in all of Scripture, John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Those who ever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But God did not give His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you come to me in faith, believe me as your Lord and Savior, you can be today. Paul echoed the same uh, thing in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. You know, before we were born again, had that old nature that existed with us, you know, that human nature. You know, really dead man's bones. That, that nature that, that's abusive and self-seeking and hypocritical and prideful and angry and selfish and, and jealous and withdrawn and arrogant and bitter and deceptive and envious and snobbish and hateful and unloving. There's a long list of that old sinful nature. That's human nature. That's what comes to us naturally. But Peter here describes how that, that once we become born again... Uh, we, we get a new nature. He says, Having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So you plant a seed in the ground, that seed has life in it. And as it's planted, as it's watered, it's fertilized, eventually it's going to grow, it will sprout, it will bring forth new life, new growth. Jesus uses the parable of the sower in this way, the seed representing the Word of God and how it's sown in different soil and representing the human heart. And some of the seed can't take root because the heart is so hard, but others' hearts have been softened and really ready to receive the implanted Word of God and the result is new life. Peter tells us that when the Word of God was implanted in our hearts through the work of the Spirit, it results in new life. Again, same words Paul uses in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. We've been born again, Peter says, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, and I love that Peter brings it back to the Word of God. A spiritual life implanted by the Holy Spirit to produce new birth is an unfailing and permanent work through the Word of God. We got this gift at Christmas time um, by my cousin that I just found out I had this here, you know, two you know, a month ago. But anyway, I don't know what the plant is called. It looks like a, like a little tulip plant, but it's only about two inches. This thing grows like an inch and a half a day. Uh, I got a tape measure next to it. I'm going, well, look at this. It's like 19 inches now. It started at two inches. That was, we got it like two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. I'm thinking, this is crazy. But you know, it's an, I'm sure it's a type of plant, but it's got the water, it's got the fertilizer, and it, it's just growing like crazy. And that's the effect that the Word of God has in our lives. And that's what Peter, he brings it back to the Word of God. The spiritual life implanted by the Holy Spirit will produce new birth and will cause us to grow. It's the truth of the gospel, really, that saves. You can't be saved, you cannot be born again apart from the Word of God. And once we're born again, we have that godly nature that comes to dwell within us called the Holy Spirit, that spirit that is what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a proof of being born again. I mean, think about what happened initially to us at conversion when we were born again by the incorruptible Word of God that lives and endures forever. Our dead life became new. As Jesus said it it would, out of the hearts began to flow rivers of living water. There's an excitement that comes. You get a love for God's word and, and how it's opened up your eyes just to see how much God loves you. A love for the Lord so powerful that it flows over to the people you know and love and meet. And as a result, you want everyone to know the love that you've experienced, the forgiveness of sins, the grace that's been shown to you. Once we know how much God loves us through being born again through the Word of God, we are now set free to love other people. Hudson Taylor put it this way. If your father and mother, sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in your house are not happy for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. I hope you have a happy dog. I, I, just, I do. This brings us to our third and final point. We should love one another because life is short. Look at verse 24 and 25. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. I want to point out two things that Peter tells us here. Peter says, first, we should love one another because life is short. Life is short. James tells us that. James 4.14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life, It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James tells us life is short. Peter tells us our life is like you know, grass. You know, it appears quickly, then it withers away. It's like a flower that appears just as quick and falls away. And the glory of man fades just as, as fast, Peter says. You ever notice how people work really hard at, at being glorious? I mean, some people work really hard to be attractive, and then they spend thousands of dollars on, on plastic surgeries and facelifts. I read a story of a, of a middle-aged woman who had a heart attack, and she was taken to the hospital. While on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. During that experience, she sees God and asks if this is it. God says no and explains that she has another 30 years to live. Well, upon her recovery, she decides to just stay in the hospital and have a complete facelift. Get some liposuction, some tummy tuck here and there. She even had someone come in and change the color of her hair. She figures that since she's got another 30 years, she might as well make the most of it. She walked out of the hospital after the last operation and is killed by an ambulance speeding by. She arrives in front of God and complains, I thought you said I had another 30 years. God replies, I didn't recognize you. Not a true story. It's it's, it's a joke, Do you ever notice how hard people work at being glorious? Yet no matter how much glory we achieve, we will age. We're going to wrinkle. Our bodies will deteriorate and sooner or later we will pass off this scene scene called life. Our our flesh is no more like the grass that withers away. The glory of our flesh is no more like like a a flower that, that fades. So because we only have a short time on this earth, we should love one another. Life is too short to be always angry and always upset with people. And then secondly, we should love one another because, verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. I love that. You know, our lives here on this earth may be short, but God's word, that stands forever. doesn't change. doesn't need a facelift. No corrections. No revisions. Peter's saying, because the word of the Lord lives forever, and because the word of the Lord lives in our hearts and lives of every believer, that we have the precious promise that we as believers will live forever. What is the, the word that stands for? Verse twenty five again. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. If we really receive the word of the gospel, really bring it to our lives, then we will live within it will live within us forever and keep us living forever. Gospel it goes back to John three sixteen. Here's my point. We as believers having received the word of the Lord into our lives, the gospel, we now have eternal life. That means we're going to live together forever. And as believers, that makes us all a part of the family of God, so we should live like it. After all, we're going to spend eternity together with each other. So why not try to get along right now here on earth? And and anyway, we are all we have. I I mean, you look at this world around us, and we are all we've got. We need each other. There's an old saying about families, that blood is thicker than water. Simply put, you can mess up, you can fall down, you you can fail. But if we're related by blood... We're going to get you through this. We'll help you out, you know, because we're family. That's what family does. Blood is thicker than water. Well, Peter's already said that we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb without blemish and without spot. So that means we're all in a spiritual family because we've had a spiritual rebirth. We've been born again. The basis of our love is that we're all in the same family. We all call on the same Heavenly Father. We all trust in the same Savior. We all have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. We all come to salvation exactly the same way by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. We will be spending eternity together. And so because we're part of the family, we need to recognize that. Recognize the woman sitting next to you right now is your sister in the Lord. She may be your wife, but she's also your sister in the Lord. The man sitting next to you right now may be your husband, but he's also a brother in Christ. We're all family. Now, in the family, there's always some weird uncle or crazy aunt. (laughs) That's okay. Love them anyway. You know, and and as some of the families, each of us have really messed up. But we're family. And we need to love each other in spite of the mess that we make. That's what real family does. That's real family love. There was a a psychiatrist who came home after a busy day. He was tired. He was exhausted. He he dragged himself into the front door and saw his wife. And he just put his head in his hands and and he said, sweetheart, I have heard of one problem after another problem after another problem all day long. I really don't want to hear any more problems today. So whatever you have to say to me, me, give me good news. Don't tell me about another problem we're having in our family. She thought for a moment and she said, well... The good news is two out of our three children didn't break an arm today. (laughs) That's one way to put it, right? One did, but I won't tell you that. Two out of three did not. It could be that two out of the three people sitting around you right now is okay. But please be sensitive to the one that's not. My point is we need to live like the family of God. We're to love each other from the heart. Love is the command, God's command for the church. D.L. Moody said, you can be a good doctor without loving your patients. You can be a great lawyer without loving your clients, but you cannot be a good Christian without love. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.16. Speaking of our Lord, Paul says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know, that's God's formula for church growth. When the church is operating in love, then it's healthy. Then it's strong. And each of us, we've been given gifts by the Lord and we need to discover them and use them and use them in love. Because we know in the church you will encounter every type of of, of person. Love them all equally with the same unconditional giving agape love that God has shown you. So I would say that love is, is a circulatory system in the body of Christ. It's been said that Discovered that isolated, unloved babies do not grow properly and are especially susceptible to disease, while babies who are loved and handled grow normally and are stronger. The same is true with the children of God. An isolated Christian cannot grow properly. They cannot minister to others, nor can others minister to them. Truth unites, but lies divide. Selfishness divides, but love unites. As long as we love each other the way the Bible says we should, the enemy cannot get a stronghold in this church. When the church is operating in love for one another, uh, it's going to be healthy and strong. A love for God's word. A love for one another. Christian essentials. Acts 2.42. And they continued to fast Fasting the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 2.46. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let me give you what Acts 2.42 and 47 says in a nutshell. It's an acronym for the word WELL. W stands for that they were a worshiping church. E stands for the fact that they were an evangelizing church. L stands for the fact that they were a learning church. And the second L stands for the fact that they were a loving church. You know, our goal should not be, oh, let's get a really big church. No, our goal should be we want a strong church spiritually in order to minister to as many people as we possibly can with the time that we have left before the Lord returns. And I truly believe the stronger the love that we have for the Lord, love that we have for His Word, the stronger the love that we have for for one another, it's going to give us greater opportunities to, to bring God glory and it's going to cause the church to grow. Because it takes people to do ministry. That's why the Lord adds to the church daily such as should be saved. But everybody has a part to play in the church. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. We've been given gifts. We need to discover them and use them. And use them in love. Amen? As we close, if you're not a part of the family of God, I encourage you, come up and talk to me as soon as service is over. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Know that your sin is forgiven. Know that you can experience this kind of love that He has for you. Come up and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and and how we look at it, we read it, it reflects back to us where we are in our lives and then we can make those changes. And Father, I pray if any of us here, after looking at your word, see that we need to make some changes. We need to love people that that have been unlovable. Lord, not only in word, but in action. Maybe do something kind for them to show them our love for them. Not uh, insincere love, but true love. Lord, if there's forgiveness that we need to bring towards someone instead of, of uh, hatred, Lord, help us to, to have soft hearts to do that, Lord, and to love them. When we recognize and we see how much you love us, God, that you gave your Son to die on the cross for every sin that we've ever committed. While we were yet sinners, your word says, Christ died for us. Lord, we thank you for, for that love. And I do pray, Lord, if there's any, anything we need to confess, anything we need to bring to you this morning. We would do that, Lord. Forgive us for not loving like we should. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do that which you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.